Good morning, church. We need him, don't we? So this morning, I want to do something just a little bit different. You know, we spend uh, some time in our service this morning, which, um, by the way, I know Kendall was saying, hey, we got off to a rocky start, some tech difficulties, and things weren't overly polished. But let me just tell you something. I just got back from a worship conference for the past couple of days, and there were many moments in that conference where it was not polished, and God still showed up. There were moments when there was tech difficulties, and God still showed up. So let's just bring our whole selves into this moment, and I know God is going to show up. But I want to do something a little bit different this morning in the same way that we want to honor those who've made the ultimate sacrifice in the service of others, it fits really perfectly into the text that we're going to be speaking out of this morning, we're going to be looking at this morning. And so in a way of of honoring, because this text is about the ultimate sacrifice that Christ did on our behalf, in a way of honoring, I'm going to ask if you're able to, when we turn to 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, if you're able to, will you join me in standing as we read the word together? It's only going to be a few verses, but if you're able to, please join me in standing. We're going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to be reading uh, just a few verses beginning in verse 3. And this is the, the Apostle Paul speaking. For I handed on to you of first importance what I in turn had received. And it's this. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom... Are still alive. So you can check it out. You can check it out if you want. 500 people at the same time. Though some have died, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Would you bow with me? God, we just come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that's in your word. We thank you for the truth. God, I just pray that you would open up our hearts to receive what you would have uh, to speak to us today, God, and we'll be careful, God, to listen attently in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So um, thank you for doing that. So I just love the word of God, and, and I love how Paul speaks to a lot of different people. And we're going to dive into that and explore that passage just a little bit more in just a minute. So my goal is for you to tune in because we've all heard what we just read. I mean, you're here in church on Memorial Day weekend, right? You're all in, right? But I want us to, to, to really understand this just a little bit more and just uh, to just... Say, God, what, what is this saying to me here today as a Christian right here in L.A.? And, uh, you know, before I get started, I, I just want to share um, that, you know, there's a, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot more vacancy this morning than a, than a typical Sunday. 
And I would imagine it's because, you know, three-day weekend, um, this is an opportunity to travel, to have a little getaway. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but I, I love to travel. Anybody here just absolutely love to travel? Like you, yeah. Okay, that's, a, that's quite a few of us. I love home, but I love to explore. I love to travel. And, and we, the Bennetts, have been uh, traveling a little bit more than uh, what's typical for us lately because over the past couple of months, we've been, um, we're in this exciting season. Uh, our youngest daughter, Mia, is 17, and we're exploring colleges. And, uh, you know, it's an exciting time. I, I know that, you know, some people might say, you know, it's, oh, you know, you're, you, you're sad because you're, you're, you know, you're walking away from one stage. And, and I, I'd say it's exciting. It's exciting to see as a parent um, your child grow into a young adult. And, and I'm choosing to rejoice in that. And... Um, I know my daughter, Mia, is somewhere in this service. I don't know exactly where. Um, But Mia, in front of all these people, um, hear me saying that I'm proud of you. And uh, I'm so excited about what God, there you are. I'm so excited about what God has in store for you. And it's an exciting time. And part of the excitement is that you get to go out of town and you get to explore colleges. And, And we did that. A couple weeks ago, we spent about a week up in the Pacific Northwest. And we spent about five days in Seattle and, and we spent some time in Portland as well. And we, we looked at five colleges and universities um, and I, it was a great time. Can I just tell you something? I don't think anybody in this room would wanna travel with me. Um, I, I, I love to travel, um, but here's something that you probably don't know about me. I like the road trip. And, you know, I've been to Seattle a number of times, but I've never driven to Seattle. And uh, I got to hand it to my family, my wife, Karen, and, and daughter, Mia. I got to hand it to my family. They're, they're quite the sport to uh, go on this journey with me um, because I'm like, let's, let's road trip. Yeah, I don't know. It was like a 3,000-mile road trip. It was no big deal because last summer we went to New York, and that was 7,000 miles. And, and so, like, I'm insane. I'm insane. But, but there's something about, and I like to fly too, but, and, and really this wasn't even about saving money because come on, it's not that expensive to fly from, from LA to Seattle. Uh, but there's something, you experience a region, you experience a city a little bit differently when you, when you travel by car. When you take the time to like see how, the, how things are changing as you come into a city um, and, and as you spend time, and like we did this time, like we, we didn't just do all the touristy stuff. So we were seeing, you know, uh, four different universities in the, in the greater Seattle area. So you're seeing four different neighborhoods. And I've got family that live in Seattle. So we were spending some meals with them and we weren't always going to the touristy, touristy spots. So it's a little different when you experience a city like that, when you're able to linger in a city city like that, you start to get a little bit of a feel for the vibe of the city. Now, those of you who travel and have had the opportunity to spend some time in in some places around the United States and around the world, if you have the opportunity to linger, you start to get the sense of the culture. You start to get a sense of it. And I know it's a, you know, it's a, it's, I'm being stereotypical and maybe over, you know, generalizing perhaps, but I'm just telling you, there's a little, there's a, there's a Seattle vibe. There's a Seattle vibe. 
And there's a, you know, there's a vibe to the music scene in Seattle. There's a vibe to the, you know, the different areas, the downtown, and, and uh, which, which, by the way, is very different than the vibe in Portland. Anybody ever been to Portland? Yes, yes. It's a different vibe. And even though those two cities are relatively close to each other, they're both in the Pacific Northwest, they both have a lot of things in common, um, it feels very different in Portland than it does in Seattle. Because there's something that happens about the culture in an, in an area, and it's this cyclical thing where the people that live there shape the culture, and the culture ends up shaping the people that live there, right? Right? So because of that, Seattle feels very different than Portland, which feels very different than Los Angeles, which feels very different than Dallas, right? So you and I know that. We understand that. And, and, and what I want to share with us this morning is that it was no different in Paul's day. It was no different in the first century. If you uh, were Paul, who ministered to a lot of the world at that time, he was a pastor, he was an evangelist, he was a missionary, he was a mentor, he was an apostle, he, he was a church planter in a lot of different areas. And, 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 and Paul would know that the culture, the vibe, the ethos, if you would, of Jerusalem was very different than Rome, which was very different than Ephesus, which was very different than Philippi, even though those, those, those two cities were very close together which is very different than the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth is, is the recipient of the letter that we just read. 1 Corinthians was written to Corinth, people in the city of Corinth, and it had a certain vibe to it, it had a certain feel. Now, at the risk of boring some of you, I, I need to take you on a little bit of a history journey because I want you to understand the context, because I think that once you understand a little bit about this place called Corinth, you're going to see how what maybe Paul had to say might be a little bit more applicable to us than you, you might realize. Because I don't know about you, but when I get to passages like this, sometimes in my daily Bible reading, it's like, yeah, yeah, resurrection, yeah, yeah, okay, got it, okay, move on, okay? It's easy to do as a Christian, oh, I got this one, I got this. There was something very specific going on that would cause Paul to write this letter. So let me tell you a little bit about Corinth. Corinth was a city that was a, a, a Greek city-state that was completely destroyed by Rome in 150 BC. In the, in the, the Romans conquered the city and leveled it to the ground. It sat in ruins for 100 years. 100 years. And then in 50 BC-ish, Rome decided to rebuild the city as a Roman colony. Now, there was a couple reasons for that. It was in an incredibly strategic location. It was, it set on the Isthmus of Corinth, which is this narrow land bridge that connects that huge southern peninsula of Greece with the mainland. You can see it on a map today. There's this narrow land bridge and Corinth, boom, right in the middle of that. And this, this land bridge was so narrow that the city of Corinth actually stretched from coast to coast. 
and it had a port on the west that served a lot of people that were coming in from Rome, a lot of trade, a lot of commerce, a lot of Western Europe would come through that side. On the eastern side, there was a port that served all of the Aegean, so, so all of Middle East and beyond into Asia. So this was like this major crossroads of commerce. So that was one of the reasons that Rome built that city. There's another reason, though. So, so Rome had this, um, the Roman Empire had this, this explosion of population as they continued to conquer and conquer and conquer. And there was this one class of society that were freed slaves. They weren't slaves, but they weren't citizens either. So one of the reasons that they set up this Roman colony was that it would be a place for people like these freed slaves, to go and live. Because there was overcrowding in all these cities. So, what we have in Corinth is an interesting combination of people from all over the world. An interesting combination of cultures from all around. That The culture of Corinth was influenced by different people that came from all corners of the Roman Empire. In fact, one scholar, uh, his name is Gordon Fee, he's a very well-respected Greek scholar and, and a historian that focuses a lot on Paul literature. Um, he, he describes Corinth as um, very similar culturally to Los Angeles with a little bit of New York City and a little bit of Las Vegas. Now, now, of course, you, you know, the reason it had a little bit of New York kind of in its culture is because as a Roman colony, as a, a center of commerce, it attracted all this finance industry. So it had that, that aspect that New York does where it tracks people from all over and, and people in that finance industry and in commerce and in trade and stuff like that. So that, that it, it was a little bit of New York, a little bit of Vegas, so if you're tuning in online from Vegas, I'm not slamming you at all, uh, but there's no question that part of the culture, part of the vibe of Vegas is that it's a place where people go to get lost in the moment. And certainly because you have two ports, you've got all these people that are coming in and out and people visiting the city for short periods of time, some just staying, all this, all this going on, all this activity, there was, there was a thriving industry that helped people get lost in the moment. But it was also like Los Angeles. It was like Los Angeles in, in several reasons. It had a very entrepreneurial spirit to it. It had a way of attracting people from all over because like Los Angeles, it was an opportunity to make it big. Now, I bet everybody in this room can think of somebody that they know that have, that's relocated to Los Angeles from around the United States or even perhaps around the globe because of, you know, the idea when you come to L.A., if I just work hard enough, if, if I just... Get in front of the right person. If the right door opens up, if the right audition takes place, the sky's the limit, right? It doesn't matter where you come from. 
It doesn't matter where you come from. If you work hard or if you get that open opportunity, if you, if you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you come from Springfield, Missouri, or if you come from New York, or you come from New Orleans. It doesn't matter. The sky's the limit. And so Corinth was really attractive because people, especially it's a newer city and all this opportunity. And so people are like, man, it doesn't matter that I'm a freed slave. It doesn't matter who my daddy was. It doesn't matter that I'm not nobility. If I work hard enough, if I get the right opportunity. So this culture according to scholars like Gordon Fee, says it's very similar to the culture today that we are experiencing in L.A. So here's why it's so important that we, that we understand that. Because here's the reality. If he's right, and the thinking of that culture was similar to the thinking of ours today. Now, I realize... I realize um, that we are more advanced in terms of technology, more advanced in terms of science, and more advanced in terms of learning. I get all that. I get the settings different. I get all that. But, you know, people are people. And ambition and hopes and dreams and opportunities and longing for things, that, that, that's, that's been in us since the beginning. And so, you know, if scholars are right in saying that that culture and that thinking and that mindset of Corinth was similar to Los Angeles, then I would say, you know, if the Apostle Paul were uh, writing this today, perhaps, um, you know, it wouldn't be called 1 Corinthians, it'd be called 1 Los Angeles. And, and I don't know about your Bible, but if you look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, a, a, lot of, a lot of the Bibles say something more like this. It's actually a little bit more of an accurate description. It's, it's Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. So maybe we could substitute and say, you know, if Paul were alive today, Paul's letter to the Los Angeles church. Even more precise, even more specific, because church, especially in the first century, never referred to really a building. It referred to a group of people. It referred to a group of Christians. Maybe if Paul were writing today, he would say, hey, Paul's first letter to the Christians that live in L.A. So why I took you on that journey is because I want you to realize that maybe we should like, look at this as if it's speaking to us. So then the question is, okay, so Paul is very emphatic about giving evidence that Christ rose from the dead. He's like, first he appears to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the 12, and then to 500 people at the same time. Most of them are still alive. I can't make this stuff up. Check my story out. And then to the 12, then to James, and then to me. Paul's taking all this time to emphatically give evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So you got to ask the question, why is he telling this to a bunch of Christians? It sounds more like a, a gospel message that you would preach on the corner. Sounds like a great Easter message when there's a lot of visitors in the church. Why would Paul be feel the need to provide evidence to a bunch, of a bunch of believers who, by the way, have already said, I'm all in for following the teachings of Jesus. Why would he take so much time to say, this really went down? So you have to scratch your head and say, well, 
what's going on. Oh, and by the way, this isn't at the beginning of the letter. So it's not like, hey, all you Christians in, in Corinth, uh, just a refresher, you know, like as, a re- like as an intro to a letter. As a refresher, remember Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, now, by the way, here's how you live as a Christian. No, this is almost at the very end of the letter. He spent almost the entire letter saying, hey, Christians in Corinth, this is how you treat other Christians in Corinth. Hey, Christians in Corinth, this is what it means to to pattern your life after Jesus. Hey, Christians in Corinth, this is how you build up the church. Christians in Corinth, this is how you resolve conflict. Christians in Corinth, this is how we need to live our lives. And then after all of that, he's like, oh, and by the way, newsflash, I promise you the resurrection happened. Why would that happen? Why would he do that? It makes no sense. Here's the deal. Paul knew something about the culture in Corinth. Paul knew, just like we're in Los Angeles, you have so many people from so many different walks of life, so many different nationalities, so many different religions, so many different nuances of religions, so many different philosophical bents. There's something that was happening. What was happening is that culture was starting to affect the thinking of the Christians, which is different than the Christians starting to affect and transform the culture. Now, scholars say this this wasn't just like a few people in the church, but actually this whole move, a part of the church, started doubting whether the resurrection actually happened. So Paul is addressing that. So here's a bunch of Christians that say, I'm all in for following Jesus. I want to be a part of this Christian community. I, I want to pattern my life after the teachings of Jesus. That's some good stuff. Of course, I accept him. I accept him. As my Lord, my Savior, my leader, like my mentor, my teacher. But, you know, there's some things about, like, the resurrection. I don't know. I don't know if I, like, I don't know if I fully buy that. You know, I mean, there's some pretty crazy stuff. Like, I I can follow Jesus. I can follow his his teachings. But, you know, like, I kind of look like a fool when I say that, like, a man actually rose from the dead. And, you know, I'm, I'm in this amazing city with all these really smart people. And, you know, I talk to them. And, you know, like, I just don't know. I don't know about some aspects. I don't know about some of the supernatural aspects. And so what Paul was dealing with, there are Christians who felt like it was okay and desirable and actually good to follow some of the tenets of Christianity, but like kind of dismissing some of those supernatural things like the, the resurrection. And, and really, does that really matter? Does it really matter? Because, you know, if I'm living my life in a loving way and, and you know, with integrity and I'm, 
I'm following, you know, the teachings of Jesus. Does it, does it really matter that I, like, I buy into all that stuff? Paul is like, yes. Yes. So I think sometimes we get this idea that, you know, um, you know, what, we're, we're in an age where we're so much more enlightened or something. And um, I'm telling you, it's no different than it was in Paul's day. Resurrection seemed weird then too. The virgin birth? Really? It seemed foolish. Paul actually in the second chapter of, of 1 Corinthians saying like, look, this, is, this whole resurrection, this whole, this whole crucifixion narrative, it's like a stumbling block to a lot of people. Other people think it's just absolutely foolish. And it's creeping into the church. It's creeping into the thinking of Christians who are like, I'm all in for a lot of the Jesus stuff, just not sure about this other stuff. And Paul's like, look, there's huge ramifications to that. Huge. And, you know, one of those is, like, without the resurrection, like, you don't have Christ's power in your life. You literally don't have the ability to have the power of Christ. See, sometimes as Christians, we want to we talk about some of these things. And then, and then unfortunately, um, like some of the Corinthians, we kind of move some of those other pieces over kind of in that fairy tale esque quality. And it's super... Super dangerous. You, you see, we have this, this idea that I, I, it's kind of pervasive. I, I don't know if it appeals to everybody in this room, but like we don't want to look foolish. We want to seem reasonable. And there are people that can get excited and applaud you for parts of your Christianity. They can be excited and applaud you for your integrity and for your honesty and how you make love the center of your life and how you value community and maybe that you raise your kids in church. They'll applaud you. They'll respect you for that. But when you start saying, you know, like, I believe in a guy who died and rose again and, and, and gives me eternal life because of that, people are like, ah, I don't know. And so we deal with some of the same pressures that the Corinthians dealt with. And, and Paul's like, okay, number one, if you want power in your life without the resurrection, if you're in denial that the resurrection occurred, guess what? You're on your own. You have to live your life in your own power. Because in Ephesians, in Ephesians, we hear, Ephesians chapter 2, we hear Paul saying, hey, I, I want you to understand the immeasurable greatness of the power that's available to you as a follower of Jesus. And by the way, it's the same power that rose Christ from the dead and placed him in the position of honor in heaven. That same power is available to you. That's mind-blowing. But wait a second. Can I really ask God to breathe life into my situations if he can't breathe life into Jesus' body. You talk about irrationality. Like, I want the power of God in my life, but I, eh, 
No, it's because of the resurrection. It's because of that, the the life-giving power that God can breathe life into any situation I'm dealing with. He can breathe life into something where I see death. There's a relationship that I need God to breathe life into. There's there's my my career, my my thought life, my my activities. I need God. I'm dead. I need the life. But we're kidding ourselves. Because if the power of the resurrection didn't happen, then I don't, why would I expect the power of life to come into me? Secondly, Paul's like, you know, um, if you're in denial on the resurrection, like this whole idea of having the presence of God in your life, it's just not, that's not possible. See, there is this, there is this movement. It's not just, we're not just experiencing today. There's been this movement since the beginning in the Corinthian church even that wants to demystify the God meta-narrative. The God meta-narrative from creation to resurrection to eternal life. There's this whole movement to, to just pull out pieces of truth, but take the mystic components of that God story, and, and you know, it's just not believable. And that's what Paul was dealing with. And he's like, wait, 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 if you do that, this whole idea of having the presence of God in your life is really not possible. You know, you know in Matthew 18, Jesus says, hey, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, I'm with you. How can that possibly be if Jesus is still in a tomb? In Matthew 28, Jesus says, I will be with you till the end of the age. We can have his presence with us, but hold on. How can that be possible if he's still in the tomb? Which, by the way, those words wouldn't even existed because those words were said in Matthew 28, which is after the resurrection. We can take God into any situation. When we get together with other believers, God is in our midst. We have his presence. Guess what? You can take God into situations where you're alone and there's no other believers around. This is mind-blowing. Paul says, the beginning of Ephesians, that you can have the mind of Christ. I can have the mind of Christ? Now, he's not saying that I'm going to understand everything that God knows. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, when you walk into a situation, you can get God's perspective on that situation. You can get God's wisdom. You can get God's direction specifically. You can take God with you wherever you go. You have the presence of God. This life of faith where you experience the presence of God is simply not possible if the resurrection didn't happen. The last thing that Paul is super concerned about, he's like, you know what? Without the resurrection, you really can't have supernatural peace. You're on your own. In the same way you got to live this life in your own power, in the same way you got to live this life without the presence of God, you got to do it all yourself. By the way, you got to find your own peace also. 
If you're in the denial about the resurrection, you got to find your own peace. you got to somehow manufacture your own peace. Later in the same chapter, Paul goes on. And this is, these are like famous lines that you, you'll recognize. We've, we've quoted them. We've sung them. It's like, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Because even in death, even in death, Paul says, at the sound of a trumpet, in, the, in a moment's notice, people who have died already, who are in Christ, will be transformed. People who are alive at that point will also be transformed, and we will enter into eternal life. So listen, you talk about peace, no matter how bad my day is, no matter how bad this week is, this month, this year, no matter how miserable my entire life could be. At least I know that this isn't all that there is. I've got this supernatural peace that God, no matter what I experience, no matter what happens to me or to my family or whatever, I I know I'm going to be in your presence. Without the resurrection, that's not possible. So you see, this isn't a Sunday morning message. This isn't a message to people who who need to learn the gospel. And and certainly, we can apply this when trying to get people to understand what it means to follow Jesus for the very first time, but understand that Paul was writing this letter to a bunch of Christians like us where the culture of our day and the the ethos of, of minds around us start slipping into the church and and get us to start dismissing some of the supernatural elements. And Paul's saying, that's what this whole thing is built on. It's a sham if the resurrection didn't happen. And so if Paul were alive today, so what, what what is our call to action? It's simply this, live in the reality that the resurrection is real. Live in that reality, like literally, like think about it. Don't dismiss it. Don't put it in the corner of your thinking. Like that's the part of Christianity I don't really talk about. I talk about the love part. I talk about the integrity part. I talk about this, but no, no, live in the reality. Think about the fact that there's a resurrection, that you're living life with a resurrected king. Yeah, we could clap about that. Let me just tell you this in, in concluding. This is, this is a not you go do better message. That's not what this is. See, the doing's already been done. The doing's already been done. All you have to do is accept it. That's what faith is. Are you going to look foolish at times? Absolutely. That's not unique to Los Angeles in 2019. (laughs) You will look foolish. You will look foolish. You know, if the Apostle Paul was writing this letter today, and this was the letter to the Christians in L.A., I believe that he would tell us, walk through life 
knowing. Walk through tomorrow. Walk through this week, this month, this year. Literally, walk through life with an awareness. Walk through life knowing that your risen Lord walks with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this simple yet completely radical truth. We thank you that the power that rose Jesus from the dead has been made available to us and that is completely mind-blowing, but will you help us to, to walk in an awareness of that with your Holy Spirit? Like, like teach us what that means and what that feels like and what that looks like as I, as I live my life. Will you help us with that? And we'll be careful to give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise in your name.